Howdy folks, welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host Omar Crook. On this episode, I interview composer Kaveh Cohen. He's a co-owner of a company called Ninja Tracks, and they specialize in film trailer music, which I think is really fascinating. And boy, they've done some huge movies. Since about 2005, they've done every, almost every major blockbuster motion picture uh, in wide release. Things like The Bourne Legacy, The Amazing Spider-Man, Prometheus, The Dark Knight Rises, Fury Road, The Martian. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Kaveh also composes music for film, and they do video game music as well. Just recently, they finished uh, scoring a game for Microsoft called Forza 6, a race car game, which is a huge, huge deal. Um, anyway, Kaveh's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. Um, we did the interview at, at his studio, which is beautiful. And uh, in the interview, we get into the business of music, which... I think is particularly interesting, um, considering that not all, but some people who graduate from uh, music school come out of school wondering how to make a career out of it. It's it's not really something that that we learn in music school unless you take a music business uh, class or if you major in music business, but not many people do. So I thought that was fascinating. Uh, he He's really... Um, had a lot of tremendous financial success and uh, critical acclaim as well for his work. So um, I think Kaveh's an interesting guy, and uh, I love him to death, and I'm so grateful that, that he agreed to be on the show. I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did, and thank you once again so much for listening. What, uh, what, tell me what you're working on. Let's start there. Okay, so, um, well, we are, um, we do a lot of music for movie advertising. Yeah. So, uh, what are the big campaigns that you've done? So, uh, recently we've, we've done a lot of big stuff. There was like Deadpool and, yeah. um, I still haven't seen that. Have you I seen haven't it? seen it. You know, Michael actually just saw it the other night and everybody loves it. it. It seems to not fit into the, overall sort of marvel wheelhouse so to speak yeah. you know what i mean it's it's very r-rated it's very raunchy yeah yeah it's supposed to be very funny yeah uh it's, it's sort of its own thing um so he really liked it colin really liked it nice i'm usually the slowest on the uptake here when it comes to watching things um like they're six seasons into game of thrones i've never seen an episode and all right so what here <laughs> let me get that a little bit closer okay so um yeah i wanted to ask you about that too are you because yeah. i'm kind of a homebody is yeah. that your that's kind of your deal too um, I think over, over time when you have kids, yeah. you know, and you work a lot during the week, um, I love spending time with the family and with the children and, you know, with things being the way they are, they get up early, they're out the door relatively early. Yeah. Uh, so you have a very small window of opportunity to see them in the morning and then you go to work and you work all day and then yeah. in the evening, again, there's a very small window of opportunity to see them before they go to bed. Mm -hmm. So, um, I really, really, really savor that time, you know, and I yeah. love being with them and I like to be there when they're going to bed and go through the bedtime routines and, mm -hmm. and all of that. So inevitably, you know, they go to sleep and by the time, you know, your wife and, and you sit down and have a dinner or whatever the case is and you yeah. wake up, it's relatively late. Um, that being said, no, I do love going out yeah. and, you know, yeah, being yeah, social. Yeah. We are, we, we have a very active social, uh, calendar as well. Sure. But during the week, no, it's a lot of family time. Yeah. That's you know, nice. That's the new normal. I think after you have I kids, know, right? but it's great. I love it. Okay. So you did Deadpool and what else? Oh, we've done a lot of stuff. Uh, I think all the 
the big movies that you see lately, all, you know, the Mad Maxes and all the big Marvel stuff and, yeah. um, you know, uh, pretty much every major campaigns that comes through every month, um, uh, we have a big, some hand A big in, piece of it, yeah. You know, we have uh, music in the trailers and the TV spots and internet campaigns. Uh, we, we do a lot of placement of pre-existing music that we've created and mm -hmm. then we also do a lot of custom work mm -hmm. so about a week ago i got to work on a custom piece for the like star wars movie for example which was a lot of fun mm -hmm. um yeah you, you know, said you got to use some of the thematic material yeah, which was, that john williams wrote which was terrifying oh, and awesome, awesome at the same time that you is know? so cool yeah so i mean the brief goes you know you got to use the the force theme and then we're going to segue to the imperial march and yeah. then we wanted to do this and that so it's really cool especially as you know as most of us grew up on star wars yeah. and williams and i mean williams for me was the impetus to ever even get into this kind of music in the first place which i'm sure is the case with you know millions of others yeah um so now was, have you been studying were you a musician when you were a kid did you have I, you been you know i had a that start a piano like yeah. most kids you took piano lessons uh, yeah, when you were a kid you know, just like everybody else and mm -hmm. uh I I just started doodling and fiddling around and realized that I was writing my own little tunes. How old were you then? I was pretty young. I mean, I was maybe, I don't know, eight, yeah. seven, eight, nine years old, something like that. And, and you were, uh, were you in London at the time? No, this is, an, uh, I was in Brighton uh -huh. at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, the right. UK. Right, so yeah. we, uh, yeah, yeah. We, and I had, yeah. um, my music teachers were at my school, which was Brighton College. Mm -hmm. um, that's the name of the school. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I had a keyboard set up at home and, um, I just started doodling around. And, and did I, you think that's what you wanted to do when you were that young? Uh, no, I don't no? think I don't think it just like really that. hit me until ET when I saw ET. Yeah. you know, so I was eight, and it was one of those like, "What yeah. on earth is this?" You know, yeah, just yeah. stunned. I mean, obviously the movie was unbelievable. Yeah, uh, but as a child, I was really, really moved by the score, mm -hmm. and uh, so much so that it was the very first piece of music that I asked my parents to buy me. So they bought me the theme from E.T. on vinyl. It yeah. was this little seven-inch vinyl that I actually still have. It's in the other room. It's in the studio. Ah, it's so great. Uh, and that was it. I would sit cross-legged on the floor in front of the turntable in our house in England, and I would just play this over and over, like just completely transported and mesmerized by the sound and what it did in the film and all that. It was yeah. just, uh, it was, um, I would say, I mean, I suppose life-changing is the way to describe it because from that moment on, it was like, I don't know what this is. And I don't know how it's done, yeah. but I need to do this. So huh. I, I stayed very single-minded, to be honest with you. I mean, as far as my musical career is concerned, I've really only had one step outside of the scoring world in my professional career, which was to uh, produce an album for an artist, which, which was a fun experience. What? Uh, Tell me about that. So there was, I don't um, think I even know about this. There was an artist uh, by the name of Stevie B., and he sang a very a song that was really well known called "Because I Love You." I'm sure if you hear it, it's you know it's ultimate cheese, but um, you'll you'll know the song. Yeah, yeah. So he, I had a, a brief stint working at the guitar center after yeah. school, and you know, you, you, as you do, you have to have a job and and figure out who you are. Wait, and how what old you're doing. were you when mid twenties now? And your folks were. Your folks had moved out here too. You'd yeah, all, yeah, you'd all moved yeah, out so here. Yeah, so at this point, this is after high school. I moved here for high school from England. Uh huh. Um, but you know, it's you know, you 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 come in, you don't know what's going on. You want to get a foot in the door. You yeah. Know, you don't know where the door is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to even get in. And you'd gone through. Did you go uh, to college? Did you go to Berkeley? Where? No, no, where no, did no. You go I, for so college. My story is. Um, it's it's actually kind of uneventful. Um, I wanted to go to Berkeley yeah. originally. Yeah. 
but my mom had taken sick, unfortunately. Yes. She was really ill. And, you know, uh, the circumstances had changed dramatically. And being an only child, mm-hmm. um, it just didn't make any sense to move. To at go the time. away. Yeah. yeah. So um, what I ended up doing, and I was a little torn at the time, despite what I said about, like, the whole John Williams um, uh, thing, the... I was very much torn between sort of getting into commercial music or mm-hmm. staying on the scoring path and whatnot. So I ended up going to the Musicians Institute, mm-hmm. which is here in is LA. not as glamorous as some of the other schools. Well, I'd listen, say. You, you did just fine <laughs> for yourself. So, you know. But uh, point being, you know, it's a great performance school. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, yeah. you go there and there's... It's a career the, college, really. Very yeah. much so. And yeah. there, are, there are people f- literally from every corner of the globe that come there uh, to attend school and, you know, go through its fantastic performance programs and, you know, they have engineering programs yeah. and, and it's all practical, hands-on stuff. Very much yeah. so. And everyone that's teaching is a working professional. Right. Uh, they have great facilities and the whole thing. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm, stay here in town. town. You know, yeah. I, I lived in Beverly Hills at the time. This was in, you know, it's right off of Highland. Yeah. Uh, it's right there. I'm in town. My parents are there. They had a composition program. So, you know, I, I, I obviously you have to, um, sure. audition and get in and all that so I did all that and I went and um, it wasn't very long after maybe a year later or something that uh, a friend of mine who worked for Hans Zimmer's studio which at the time was called uh, Media Ventures it's now changed names to Remote Control right Project. but is it was it down in Santa Monica same place yeah same place, uh-huh. same place. Uh-huh. Um, uh, they had an internship program and he said hey you know why don't you come down and, and how, you know, how old this, were you you were like 20 this is mid 20s uh-huh. and this is the time where you know I was fully immersed in listening to film music and mm-hmm. wanting to do that and trying to learn it and mm-hmm. I was idolizing Hans at the time yeah and uh, so I went down and um, make a really long sort of different winding story short i think uh it just led to opportunities like i had met people working at guitar center that uh introduced me to you know their friends who were making shows yeah there was one in particular who uh introduced me to a director friend of his who was um uh, doing a show for the u.s air force at the time mm-hmm. and he listened to my demo and he loved it and that was really my one of my first big professional gigs and we recorded a live orchestra yeah four-star general of the uh u.s air force yeah, was yeah. involved and it was all very scary and you're in your mid-20s this was at this point i'm a little bit old, now late 20s uh, uh-huh. getting you know so Still, i've sort I mean, of meandered that's, that's around really doing this though. and that a little bit yeah um but that was really sort of like the first big gig but all of my relationships at the time came from people I had met at Guitar Center. That's crazy. And so at this point, to answer your original question, I had left school because there was the internship opportunity, there was this other opportunity. Yeah, you were were working. I was working. Yeah, that's the whole point. Exactly, Yeah. exactly. So I ended up up leaving and then I I left Guitar Center. I Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, took the bold step out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took that leap of faith. Yeah. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, were you living on your own or were you still with your folks at that point i was you know again given the circumstances you know with my mom and everything yeah um so yeah i just you know took a took the leap of faith and it it was you know one small gig to the next small gig and sure you know you have some downtime and you're figuring out what to do next and then you know one way or another i think sure the ball begins to slowly start moving along yeah and um and how do you compose uh, do you compose the same way now as you did then? Do you use the keyboard or how do you? Yeah, I think, you know, from the beginning, how do you especially start? piano being the primary instrument. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's always been, it's always been the, the writing tool. Got it. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, 
Now it's also the input device for every other kind of programming that you do. If you're doing, you know, drums and percussion programming, whatever you're programming, the keyboard is ultimately the input tool, the gateway, yeah, and the writing tool, right? Uh, right. So in that in that sense, it's changed. Obviously, the setups have gotten more elaborate over the years, right? And, you know. Now, did, did you did you meet your writing partner, Michael, Guitar at Guitar Center? Guitar Center. Yeah, Guitar Center. Strangely enough, was you know, in retrospect, it was. Uh, unbelievably important time for me yeah uh and it was a really bizarre story because i worked for a while at the hollywood store the one on the one on sunset Sunset, the Uh big famous one right and then i quit because a cousin of mine had started a label interestingly enough Mm -hmm. and i went to work with him at Mm -hmm. this label and uh it didn't work out after like you know seven eight months something like that so I, i i decided to come back in the interim till i figure out what was going to happen next yeah i decided to come back to guitar center and I, again, I, st- I still lived in the same place. I still lived in Beverly Hills. Yeah. But for some reason, and honestly, to this day, I don't know why, I came and got a job at the Sherman Oaks Guitar Center. That's so far. And I'd never stepped foot in the store before, ever. I didn't know anybody there. I'd never been in the store. Uh-huh. I still had friends and acquaintances at the Hollywood store and the relationships there. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell you why, but s- for some reason... I went to the Sherman Oaks store, and that was the old Sherman Oaks store before they built this—the one that you see now on yeah. Venture Boulevard. Yeah. Um, and is that that's where you met everybody? That's where that I you, met everybody. Wow. Yeah. So Michael worked behind the counter there. One of my other dear friends, Paul, who uh, actually taught Mike and I a lot of the ropes as far as like the movie advertising industry. He was really the first one to get into that and become successful in it. And he taught us the ins and outs of it. Really? Um, he would work behind the counter. One of our other fr- dear friends, uh, Ralph, who had been a touring musician with like the Jacksons and everybody, incredible uh, producer. And, had, you know, he's played with everyone from Lenny Kravitz on down. Yeah. Uh, he had taken a step back from the industry and he was working there. We ended up doing a bunch of stuff together after we left Guitar Center um, and a few other characters that I still keep in touch with. But yeah, did you mention Stephen Bray had something to Stephen do with Stephen Bray is someone Guitar I met Center? there. Yeah, I just met yeah, him. He, he was a customer. there. Yeah, exactly. And he was the one that actually referred me to his director friend who did the U.S. Air Force show I mentioned earlier, which was one of my first professional And that's what gigs. got you out of Guitar Center, basically. Exactly, exactly. Wow. So there was a lot of, uh, lot of activity during that short time at Guitar Center that led to a lot of sort of what led me here. And did you start doing what you do now before you met Michael and then you guys got together after the fact or was it the two of you getting together that got you into this business? No, I mean, we we actually had some success in this kind of work independently of each other. I see. Uh, And um, there was just some opportunities that came up around 2004 Mm -hmm. that uh, uh, we decided it might be a good time to actually team up and create our company, which is called Ninja Tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so we formed in 04. And then uh, I think by teaming up, it sort of uh, helped us propel ourselves forward. And it, then, you know, it, we gained ground pretty quickly in this industry. At is least. that when you started doing film trailer music for the most I had, part? Or I had what? done it, pro- I had started probably in 2002, something I like see. that. I um, see. What was your first, what was the big break uh, as far as film scoring or, or trailer music? The very first big well, my, actually, my very first campaign was Panic Room with Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very big trailer. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it was, it was actually, you know, there was a big, a, quite a, a slew of um, big campaigns at the time. It was just back to back. How did you get that gig over somebody else? Through my friend Paul, who I met at uh-huh. Guitar Center. 
you know so he was the one that was helping us sort of get on our feet uh-huh. and then in 04 we formed our own company uh-huh. and basically started doing everything independently and that was full tilt Full Tilt was the name of the the brand, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's yeah. something I've never understood. Like when you give me the CDs, it it was like one, one of the most revolution, and I thought, is that the name of the company? Or yeah, is that so the, Full like, Tilt was the that, brand, okay. originally, right? So mm-hmm. our company name is Ninja Tracks, but the brand of music, the catalog of music that was being provided to the clients, was called Full Tilt. And that's does that change every year? No. So Full Tilt was basically the brand. Okay. And then uh, we got acquired by Warner Chapel Music in 2010. So they acquired Full Tilt. They didn't buy the company. They acquired the brand of music, Full Tilt. Yeah. Okay. And then um, we stayed with them for two years. They published f- four more uh, bodies of work f- that we had to, we were obligated you, you to You produced, uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. And then we left. And then we continue to be Ninja Tracks, but the new brand is called Revolution. I see. That's basically what it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my early years after Guitar Center, uh, and quite honestly, throughout the movie advertising thing picking up, I really cut my teeth doing documentaries and you know TV scoring. Mm. Um, I did, I don't know, half a dozen documentaries, another half a dozen TV miniseries yeah. for all different cable networks. Um, and is and the collaboration the same with like a documentary where you sit down with a director and you decide on yeah, the very tone much of the so. piece? And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know, it's a deciding approach, musical approach and aesthetic. And mm-hmm. then you've got, you know, spotting meetings where you're going through deciding where music is going to come in, where it's going to come out, how it's going to function. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that respect, it's very much the same. And what do you prefer? Do you prefer um, scoring a larger body of work over say like a movie trailer or do they both have their s- the different uh, yeah. rewards I think um, you actually bring up a very interesting point because uh, it's I think this conversation can kind of expand into yeah. something interesting that I I see a lot of yeah. out there uh, and that is that I think there's this notion that one area of the industry is better than the other. Mm-hmm. It's you the same I mean? in classical music. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Or you know Broadway I mean? between, yeah, you know, between Broadway and, yeah, exactly. This, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it starts know, in college too. I mean, the way that they all pit themselves against each other in absolutely. college, it kind of sets that tone yeah, for the rest of your it's life. It's unfortunate because I think what people don't realize is that all these different areas of media, you know, there's commercials, there's film advertising, there's right. film, there's television, there's documentaries, there's reality TV scoring. I mean, there's all these different venues, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, like when I look at it, especially having had the privilege of working in so many of these different areas, you know, I've, I've done audiobooks. Yeah. I've done features. I've done television scoring. I've done animation scoring. I've done documentaries. Mm-hmm. I've done... I don't know, a few thousand movie trailers at this point. Um, And now video games. Yeah. We're doing a lot of video game scoring. What they really all represent is an opportunity. That's it. So you kind of lump it all, you lump it all together uh, psychologically. Well, I mean, the reality is... You you don't draw distinctions between the work. No, I mean, there are some things like, you know, film, for example, is a long form medium. Mm -hmm. So there is the opportunity to do, to develop something. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because you just simply have more minutes of music. Mm-hmm. Same thing, for example, with a video game. Or, you know, you can give the sto- the music a, a greater story arc mm-hmm. in uh, a television show across a season. Sure. I think that stands true. But the reality is that all of these different things represent an opportunity. And just because it's a film, does it mean that I'm successful because I've created a lot of music? Did I, did I succeed in telling my story? 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is it is it a high quality work just because it's longer, just mm-hmm. because it's for a film or mm-hmm. if it's for television? And I don't know if that's necessarily true, and I don't think it stands true out there. Um, yeah, what's your metric? I mean, what do you consider? I mean, I I, I look at success as, uh, you know, my my wife still loves me and the power's on, and that you know, I mean, what I I mean, I have certain metrics for artistic success, but as um, I don't really create anything, you know, right. I just interpret things. So sure. that is kind of minimized in the way that I see what I do. But how do you, I guess, so what you're telling me is that you would look at um, a two-hour body of music in the same way that you would a 30-second body of music because each one of them presents their own recipe for success and That's failure. That's absolutely right. Yeah, got it. You know what okay. I mean? There, yeah. there are hurdles no involved, matter what mm-hmm. you know and uh, ultimately you are working for a client mm-hmm. you're exercising you're trying to exercise their vision mm-hmm. ultimately this is about someone else's vision for their project yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah and uh that's a difficult proposition because you know you're dealing with a a, a, a wide variety of personalities yeah and, and, temperaments uh, temperaments and also you know some are more knowledgeable about music others are far less knowledgeable about music uh, and then the projects themselves. Some projects you're really trying to help to fix, mm-hmm. for lack of a better description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Others are brilliant and don't even require you. Um, so I think the point is that all of these things represent an opportunity. And that's it. And it, it's just because one is film doesn't mean that it's better than this next thing that's a video game. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I know you've done both. Which do you prefer? What uh, do you prefer to do? I prefer to have the privilege of jumping from one to the next to keep uh-huh. it fresh that's nice you know what i mean yeah um as with anything i think if you do one type of thing uh it can sometimes you know over time it becomes loses a its uh yeah, luster. It loses a little flavor you yeah know? um yeah but ultimately i mean it's uh first and foremost a privilege to be able to sit and create and write music for a living mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's something that we're very thankful for and we try not to forget yeah um, now you mentioned um different personalities have you ever taken on a job that you just couldn't continue doing because of something like that no you, i mean you always I've, find a way to make it work I, I think that's part of the gig yeah you know part of your job as a composer uh, especially in media i think is to play psychologist mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. you um you're uh of course, you're dealing with every, all the musical requirements and you're dealing with all the technical requirements to picture and so on and so forth. Yes. But ultimately, you're a translator. Yeah. And of somebody else's vision, somebody, somebody else's, else's work. vision, and they may not be able to articulate it. And, and sometimes you, know, you have to turn something in that you personally just can't stand. And that's, that's, that's always a, a little bit of a hurdle. But I think, you know, as you mature musically, as you mature artistically, mm-hmm. it becomes a little easier to sort of relinquish the piece after it leaves your brain. And I would imagine you know? once, you've, once you develop a reputation in town as a certain entity, those people that would ask you to do the things you don't want to do kind of fall off anyway. They find somebody else to... Yeah. You know, I mean, you're at a certain level where people... It's like, going, it's, like going to, it's like ordering bagels in New York. It's different than ordering bagels in Salt Lake City. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like you walk sure. in and if you don't know what you want, they're just going to skip over you. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah. I think um, people who find you, who want to work with you, they right. kind of know who they know you your, are, what your you're deal. doing, what you're about. Yeah. So I think intrinsically there's a level of trust there, which yeah. is very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not to say that you don't run into hurdles often face first. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. something just... Um, 
is plain wrong. Sure. It wasn't what they meant. It's not, you know, you didn't understand them, whatever sure. the case is. And, then we, you know, you run into unusual circumstances where I remember working on a TV show um, many years ago and, you know, one of, I don't know, seven producers in the room just hated a particular woodwind. Almost as if she'd had some personal bad experience. <laughs> with this and, uh, you know, we had to remove it from the cues. Wow. It was bizarre. But, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, you just go, absolutely, yeah, no fine. problem. No, I'm not going to sit there and question it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I think that's a part of the journey, too, is just learning the politics of it all, which is 50% um, uh, of the battle. Yeah, I and you, I, since I've known you, I've always thought of you as a really good businessman. Like, you know, you seem to know... Uh, how the business works and where the art falls within that framework. Right. Thanks. Do you ever have? Um, do you have an urge? I know you're really busy and probably you don't even have the time to think about it. But um, do you ever have the urge to write your magnum opus, like your your personal piece of art? Absolutely. Um, and it's funny you mention it because like Eric Whitaker, mm. uh, our dear mutual friend, and I have had many conversations yeah. where you know he's. Um, he's often promoted the idea of me doing like a concert piece. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, you know, he, he's always been very generous with his words about, you know, how he thinks it, how to be do very that. Interesting. Uh -huh. And also, yeah, well, not, not only the, how to do it, but the fact that because of the, where I come from uh -huh. musically, it might be really interesting to see something translate to the concert stage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's been on my mind for, a, a you have a desire to do time. that. I do actually. You and do. I think, I think it's in the cards and I think, you know, the reality is that when you're, when you're, when you're working a lot, when you have this privilege of working a great deal, mm -hmm. um, you're always working for someone else. Right. You That's know? why I ask. Yeah. yeah. Is so you never have the opportunity to write something for you. Just to write it. Just to write it for yeah. the sake of it existing. Exactly. For the sake of the art. Exactly. Uh, I don't remember the last piece. Yeah. That would fall under that, that ideal. Yeah. I, I just don't remember. It's been at least two decades so as you know. you're as you become more successful um coupled with getting older do you feel that pressure like mounting like you want to get this you have something to get out just for the sake of doing it yeah i think you know what becomes clear later on and it's you know i'm i'm turning 42 yeah so hopefully yeah i've uh, got another 40 years of this going <laughs> yeah. on I mean, you look at like williams and marcone exactly. and these guys they're in their 80s yeah and writing scores that you know quite frankly beat the shit out of everybody else's music you yeah know, it's pretty amazing stuff yeah yeah um but you know and you look at somebody like paul mccartney who yeah. had this tremendous career yeah, he's and is 147 and he's, years yeah, old and he's making and, music <laughs> that he wants to make and exactly of course he goes and does hard days night at, in concert but he also makes these concert pieces that right. people may or may not like that's right just for himself and that's i mean it's um it's one of those things i think what what happens over time is that it becomes more clear yeah what you like doing that's what right you don't like doing and you just start deciding to do more of the stuff that you really want to do. It becomes a compulsion, I think. At some point, it, it's like you you have to do it. Yeah. And that means not taking these jobs and not doing these things. Yeah, I mean, artistic gratification in the framework of a business, which yeah. is what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And I think ultimately what's happened nowadays is that as a composer, you're in the business of music. Yeah. Ultimately, whether you like it or not. That's right. Whether you like it or not. There is a business component to this career choice and I think it's a very important one and mm -hmm. I think it's important for composers especially young composers coming up to realize that they they, they are obligated really yeah. if they want long-term success they want longevity to be able to manage their business yeah 
and treat it like a business. And for the sake of sanity too, if you want to have a family and you want to have some Absolutely. kind of stability, I mean, and they'll pay for themselves. Exactly. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is opportunity. Uh, obviously, when you're starting out, there's as the cliche goes, there's dues to be paid. Yeah. Um, but there's a time where you know you can find the balance of business and arts, and I think that's the 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 ongoing. Um, I don't want to use the word fight, but I think the ongoing it's a, it's a consideration, obstacle, yeah. you know, is is trying to maintain your business, um, and then trying to be artful and find art mm-hmm. and exercise your art uh, and be gratified mm-hmm. by your art mm-hmm. during this process. Do you have any um, desire to teach? None. You know, it's funny because you, <laughs> out of everybody that I know, it seems like you would be the one that could say, if you want these things to happen, you need to do A, B, and C. Like for me, you're very methodical in the way that you approach the business part of music, Uh where music in conservatory isn't taught that way. It's taught, only the art is taught, and nothing about the business is taught, which does, I think, a great disservice to a lot of people because there isn't, it's not like becoming a CPA where there's like a charted course that you do this, you take these classes, you get this internship, you know, there's no uh, roadmap, Absolutely. and it seems like you have a really clear. Well, here's the thing: I would, if someone asked me, what are some aspects of the business components of a career in music mm-hmm. that you could point out that are very important? Yeah, I could put my finger on those. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that I would consider major pitfalls that I would say, you know, steer Don't clear do of these this, things. Yeah, and absolutely do these things. Mm-hmm. But what I can't tell you is how to get a gig. Yeah, that's the art part of it, though. That's the art part of it. But and that, that's why people, how do I get into the business? I don't know. But I think there <laughs> are more me. people, I think there are more people that have the capacity artistically, yes. but don't have the business sense to make a life true. out of it. Absolutely true. Um, you can be fulfilled artistically and just yeah. not have a life. Yeah, and if you think about it, I mean, you're, especially as a young artist, you're put through the ringer. Yeah. You're absolutely put through the ringer. You're thrown left and right against the wall, and you know, you're sort of bled to death because the reality is that if you don't do the work, someone else will, even yeah. if it's under duress, if it's under unreasonable terms. Right. Someone else will do it. Right. And when you're in those compromising situations, you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to just get survive. the gig. Yeah. You're trying to keep the gig. You're trying to make a little bit of money. You're trying to survive and hope that you've planted a seed for a relationship that will ultimately two, three years down the road lead to a callback for something mm-hmm. bigger and better. Mm-hmm. But you're in a very compromising situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like this it's a very it's a catch-22 like you've got to do the work but at the same time you're trying to establish yourself but there's simply not enough there see these are you considerations I mean? that so many musicians don't even yeah. have that's what i'm talking about I mean, you should write a book it's a pamphlet a little of a skinny book <laughs> <laughs> it's a one page it's in giant font you fold it and you staple it in the middle. 47.5 <laughs> no i mean it's 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 uh it's a really difficult path yeah man you know especially to get to some point of regularity in work yeah. And, and and have growth. Yeah. Where you're growing your business and you're growing as an artist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um it's it's difficult. It's a difficult proposition. Mm-hmm. And then now you look I mean you look come, you know, people move to the major city, to the hub, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And there's so much competition. Yeah. All these people are chasing the same types of gigs, the same dollar, you know, and there's all this talent out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a difficult proposition. It now, really when you is. were when you were at working with Hans, um, well, I, I interned for Hans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I you I'm, saw him. I pass walked in the, by him once. Yeah. I think that was about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
how did you go from there to doing anything other than film scoring at that point? Um, what do you mean as far as other types of gigs are concerned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what took you out of that environment? Why didn't you stay with Hans and what? Honestly, it was just relationships. That was it. So um, there's, said, a, there's another guy. It's actually this, this, this French um, friend of mine, Jean-Michel, who's, who's here the other day visiting after a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also one of the very first people who uh, gave me any opportunity. He was writing music for a lot of the, do you remember the production company Deke? And they did all the like, you know, the Inspector Gadget and all oh, those yeah, animations, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They were very prolific yeah. for a great many years. They were constantly putting out all these great TV shows. Mm-hmm. So he was scoring several shows at a time for them. Mm-hmm. And that's another Got one it. of my early opportunities. So I was ghostwriting for him. Mm-hmm. And this is back in the day where we would get a storyboard book. And you would decide the length of the piece of music based on how many what pages the scene was. Wow. Right? So it's very, very, this is before QuickTime and all this wow. good stuff, right? So yeah. it, was, it was early on. But it really taught me a lot because you're writing, first of all, animation music, which is a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of fun in itself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're learning how to, you know, arrange for that type of orchestral writing, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're writing a lot of music. You're writing it quickly. You have yeah. to deal with notes and revisions very quickly. Yeah. You know, there's that whole... Um, uh, semantical aspect of the storybook, mm-hmm. bo- uh, the storyboard book. Uh, it was just a huge learning experience, mm-hmm. and we kind of went. I went with him from show to show to show, jumping around, writing all this music over several years. And then there was the other relationships with Stephen Bray, as I mentioned, where you know I got this documentary, and then with that director, I ended up doing a couple of um, uh, like TV movies. I did a couple of miniseries for Discovery Channel for the Travel Channel. We did. Uh, biography on John Travolta for A&E. We did this, we did uh-huh. that. There was a lot of stuff that was happening. Uh-huh. Uh, and then during this time, a couple of small features had come along. So yeah. it was a very, very busy time. Yeah. And there was a lot of learning. And that was the thing. It's like leaving school, leaving you know, the opportunities that, who knows, may have come from staying at Media Ventures. I have no idea. Because at that point, all I was doing was cutting broccoli and serving wheat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was a, it turned into waves of work. And were you married at the time? Or were you still single? I was single, and then um, right around, yeah, about a few years later, I got married. Uh Uh-huh. And um, it was about a year after I got married that Michael and I formed the company. Uh Uh-huh. So that's now, I was married in 2003, 2004, we formed the company. Yeah. And I, I I started to do less of the documentary work, less of the sort of TV work and stuff. Yeah. And was beginning to focus more on the motion picture advertising. Now, before you uh, partnered up with Michael, you—it's from what it sounds like you were kind of a. Did you do a lot of collaborating, or did you no. do all? So you did it. So you're kind of alone. Very much so. So then, what was it like to start this collaboration with Mike? How was, it was how, awesome. well, Like when you started it, yeah. right off the bat, it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we were dear friends at that point for. By 2004, we had been friends for eight years. Uh-huh. And we had collaborated on other things. So you knew how you worked with each yeah, other. Yeah, but it wasn't in as close proximity mm-hmm. with so much invested. Mm-hmm. That's the, just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Our investiture together in this company at that time was far greater than anything that we had done together. Sure. Um, and when did you decide to like jump in? It was it was it was really funny actually because I, I I had <laughs> I had done this, some work for this company called Groove Addicts. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they they had a they were representing like big composers in commercials, Danny Elfman, Jerry Goldsmith, stuff okay. like that. And they were yeah. they had a production library component to their business and all this stuff. But the one thing they weren't in was big movie advertising. Mm-hmm. They just weren't doing it. And here, you know, I had had some independent success doing music for movie advertising. Mm-hmm. I was talking to them like, hey, you guys have this huge network of clients. Yeah, add this to your yeah, what's portfolio. Up? Like, how yeah. come you're not doing it? It turns out they didn't have the goods. They didn't have the catalog. They didn't, they didn't have, have the they didn't music. Have the people. Yeah. They just didn't have the right people doing it. Uh-huh. So conversation sort of got a little bit more involved. It's like, well, hey, we could be the providers of the music. Right. And you guys have the network. Right. It's like the perfect fit. So I get off the phone. I call Michael because I thought, look, I could do this on my own. But I really thought it would be better with him because he had a completely different musical background. And... Obviously, he has great work ethic and this and that. And I felt like... What was he doing at the time? Michael came from a lot of pop and rock production. So he's done, you know, everything from Selena Gomez, James Brown... As a producer or as a player? As a producer. Uh Uh, And he had played in a band. Uh He'd done a lot of pop and rock production. You know, got some gold records, platinum records, that kind of stuff. Big artists, Lenny Kravitz. I was just in there making penis jokes with him. I didn't hear such... You guys are big deals. Well, you know. (laughs) <laughs> penis goes a long way in, in, this, in this studio um, but uh yeah so he'd done a lot of that yeah and so that was his background he's an amazing guitar player yeah and he's an amazing producer and a great writer and the whole thing mm-hmm. and i felt like we would be enriched sure by being together bringing different things to the table me yeah. doing this trying to do this on my own and i felt like we'd bring a lot more not only stylistically artistically but we'd be able to do more because there's two of us sure um I called him up and I'm like, dude, I got this great idea. I got this great opportunity. Mm-hmm. I have this feeling in my bones. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And he goes, nope, sounds like a lot of work. He gets <laughs> off the phone. And we, he literally was like, no, I don't want to do that. Really? I'm like, dude. <laughs> so I call back like, no, 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 no. no. You got to do this. Yeah. And uh, fortunately for, for me, um, he, he agreed. Begrudgingly. He had to twist his arm. I was like, dude, come on. It's yeah. going to be fun. It's going to be cool. I just have a good feeling about it. And um, yeah, so he ended up doing it. And you guys set up shop like right away or? It was kind of an interesting time because, you know, we spent, I think we spent seven or eight months in contract negotiations. Oh my God. And all this nonsense. Wow. As you know, it always ends up being the icky paperwork that mm-hmm. ruins everything. So we, we had a lot of that. Um, and then we had no music to start with. So somebody's got to sit down and write all this stuff. So that was, it was just a lot of work to, you know, it's like, great. We have this brilliant idea. Sorry, we, I'm yawning, man. I didn't mean, I'm, no, I'm, I know I'm bored of myself. No, too. I'm not bored, dude. I just, I, I ate that damn burger sandwich thing that you made me eat. Well, hey, sorry, I'm falling asleep. You look like you needed some meat. So. I, <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, we, uh, we took some time because you, you, you now, were you writing during that negotiation yeah. you were so you were preparing really we were preparing okay. but you know it's like you know it kind of felt like taking a step back yeah in order to be able to take a step forward because you were now giving up other things because this that's new right thing this new baby was taking so much time and the music you're composing is just kind of for the sake of getting to know each other and and well i mean it had composing. to be very specific and you know oh you had already to, had you already we had, knew what we were going to do i see you got know, it it was like a very laser precision trajectory got it but someone had to sit down and write it yeah at this point and we needed a lot of it to get off the to get off on our feet essentially yeah um so we did it we just you know we pulled it off and where were you working at the time so my studio was in my apartment huh and so was his oh right okay um 
that's how we did it. We just did it. You know, I had a nice setup though. It just happened to be in a in a nice studio apartment. Yeah. Um, but we we got through it and um, we put it out and lo and behold, people liked it and started using it immediately and immediately we moved on to the next yeah. set of music and but you were you were the wholesaler you were i mean you were selling it to this other company who was selling it to no no not at all no. oh. so we we created a partnership with groove addicts I they see. were they were essentially for lack of a better description they were a distributor Got right it. so they were they had the network they were in with all the major clients that mm-hmm. we needed access to mm-hmm. but they didn't have the content we didn't have the network we had the content how do you split that up financially is it 50 50 it was at the time I it see. was at the time um and it worked really well i mean you know they they brought a lot to the table i think we brought a lot to the table and it, mm-hmm. it quickly accelerated and it became one of the top call uh we became one of the top call production companies feeding music into the advertising scene for big films mm-hmm. and we remained relatively exclusive so that is like if some radio station in the Midwest called to get music for some advertising thing they're doing, we're not that company. Right. right. We were dealing specifically with big movie campaigns. Uh, and that's it. Huh. You know what I mean? So we were yeah. sort of a very, very niche boutique company providing exclusive music for right. high-end campaigns. And then how long was your contract with that company? It was ongoing. So what ended up happening I mean, was how did we you sort split? of... How it did was like a three-year thing originally. Uh-huh. And then we re-signed and... Because uh, it was working well. And then in 2010, so it wasn't very many years later yeah. that the Warner Chapel sale came along. I see. And they, they wanted to get into the... They have a production library, mm-hmm. but it was, for lack of a better description, um, it's kind of generic. Uh-huh. So, you know, uh, what they do is companies like that, obviously, they don't write their way yeah. to the top. They buy their way to yeah, the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had done some diligence and started buying companies and that And they saved money operating. by offering packages. To, to companies that include trailer music and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so they, they basically came along and said, hey, we heard about you. We like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We want to buy you, uh-huh. essentially. So um, so that obviously changed the, the relationship with mm-hmm. Groove Addicts because mm-hmm. everyone sold their interest in Full Tilt to Warner Chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, Warner wanted us to stay on for a couple of years to continue servicing this brand. Mm-hmm. They're not going to just let you leave. And you had a certain obligation as far as content goes. That's exactly uh-huh. right. And uh, after that, we were on our own. Yeah. But by that point, now we're talking 2012. So eight not, years has elapsed and yeah. we are in, you know, we have our own, we have complete network in-house and right. we're fully independent. So you don't need a distributor anymore. They come straight to you. Exactly. So for this part of our business. Um, so now you're in direct competition with Warner Chapel. Exactly. And That's how, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So yeah. when they now, you know, when they're putting out full tilt albums, yeah, which, which is very <laughs> weird to see now because there's other composers writing for it and it's not us, but it's our brand uh-huh. originally. Does it sound similar? No. Oh, no. so they didn't even try to do that. No, I think they tried. <laughs> <laughs> you could try. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no, jokes aside, I mean, you know, I think that's also part of our success is that Michael and I have, through many years of striving and yeah. and, and growing and investing in ourselves and, you know, in our studios and whatnot, I think we have a specific aesthetic. Yeah. Um, now, if it's good or bad or whatever, I'll leave that to others to judge, but it is a specific aesthetic. Do you have any main competitors? Oh, yeah, yeah. I you mean, do. there's definitely some companies out there who are direct competition with us. I see. You know, but it's a big industry, and there's uh, there's a lot of music usage. The, to be honest with you, in this realm, mm-hmm. uh, music 
appetites are ravenous. Yeah, and sure. You just simply can't get our client base enough music sure. quickly enough. Do you ever think about going into partnership with another one of your competitors and making really. it bigger? No, no it's not I your think thing. I think we're good. I mean, it, we're, we're, we're sort of in the process of expansion right now. In what way? Actually, in that we're taking on writers to oh, publish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started out with a few or, or like two. Um, mm -hmm. And then over the last, actually, strangely enough, over the last like 10 days, yeah. there's been a big push. And um, I think we're, we've got like five or six new people. And how do you... Um, how do you find these people? What's the vetting process? Uh, we, we get a lot of submissions. Oh, I see. There's a lot of submissions, um, and it's ongoing. So there's uh -huh. constantly you know new music coming in, mm -hmm. and then we know people obviously um, yeah. around town doing all different sorts, all sorts of different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a pool of people, but I think you know the thing that changed is that for a great, great many years we stayed super exclusive. We don't have the same. Pr approach to this kind of music as some of our contemporaries have like mm -hmm. they'll get 10 composers to write you know a bunch of cues and yeah. they'll package them into one album i don't know 25 30 35 40 tracks on an album okay and they'll put out a half dozen albums a quarter wow or more oh my god we just don't work that way yeah you know our thing is you know we feel like we take a lot more time crafting mm -hmm. our, our thing is sort of like a an artist doing an album mm -hmm. if an artist if a nine inch nails takes a year to craft an album it's not unheard of and yeah. there's like 12 or 13 cuts right. on it and it's very that's normal it, right yeah. uh -huh. that's always been our approach i see so our albums are album length mm -hmm. you know we always feel like the album is only as good as its weakest track so we really spend a lot of time crafting and our approach to the mu music is that of an artist not a, that of a production library so what's the business and that's model? a very clear distinction yeah, yeah, yeah. i think so you, know? you have, so you produce an album let's say every year um, yeah, we average about two. <clears throat> okay, so yeah. so you do two albums a year, and then um, I don't know, like Roadshow Pictures needs to buy a track. Do they right. buy the whole? No, there's no buying. It's all non-exclusive licensing only. And then how do you prevent people, f like on a very, on a level that might go under the radar from yeah. just there's fucking stealing bleed. it, there's man? Bleed. Yeah, there's, there's that's it. Leakage. Does that have? Do you catch that? It sometimes? happens. I mean, there are, there are services that you can use that track, for example, TV usage, like BMI or no. There 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 are specific boutique services that I actually see. would go out and say like these are all the cues that were used by all the TV stations in the country, and you get lists that are hundreds of pages long. Wow, it's ridiculous. Okay, there's ways to track it, and then obviously you have to chase the stuff down and enforce it. Uh, have you ever had to do that? There's been a couple of occasions, you yeah. know, where you're sending cease and desist and this and that and the other. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the most part, yeah, I mean, you live in the YouTube age. There's yeah. there's going to be leakage, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but, you know, the good news is on on the higher levels, on the, the, the levels at which we operate with our actual client base, mm -hmm. they're all very well behaved. Got it. <laughs> you know, yeah, they have very, to be. Yeah, it's I mean, all documented. Sure, sure. Kind of a small industry. Totally above board, yeah. Yeah. Um, but going back to your original point, um, Mike and I have been writing all this content for, yeah. you know, the last 12 years on our own. Yeah. 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 And, um, I think the reality is that when you, did you learn that at Hans, Hans's studio? What's that? The, the, well, right on my own. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Funny that, um, exactly. Uh -huh. Um, so I think the reality is that, you know, um, there is a lot of opportunity out there. And, yeah. You know, these, as I said, the client base's requirement for music is so ravenous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, we, in order to fulfill 
their needs, mm-hmm. it made sense for us to start trying to find more people to yeah, provide Yeah, did you content. feel like you were just losing opportunities I think there's some of often. that. There's some yeah. of that. I mean, again, you know, the company is, you know, we place everywhere and we have 60 or 70 international sub-publishers, so we're in 60, 70 different countries around the world uh-huh. and our music peers and everything from documentaries, commercials, bumpers, yeah. uh, advertising, cabin, you name it, yeah. all over the world. Yeah. I mean, the world's a big place and it needs a lot of music. I think that's what it comes down to. So we we just realized that maybe it's time instead of being sort of so exclusive Mm -hmm. and boutique and just the two of us and Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, maybe it's time to sort of let, relinquish the reins a little. Yeah, how are you going to market that? Will that be under a different... No. It'll, be, it'll all be... Yeah. So you want it to all still be stylistically very similar? Yeah, I mean, we have our hands on it. Uh-huh. We are overproducing all of these things. Got it. Um, and it has to fit a certain paradigm, of course. I see. Uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, trailer music... Uh, for lack of a better description, um, is it's just an extension of film music, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just yeah, sure. It gets a little bit more intense, and we're trying to tell a story in a smaller period sure. of time. Sure. But ultimately, aesthetically, production-wise, and whatnot, we are an extension of film. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, production techniques that we use in this kind of music, we use in video games, we use in film, we use in TV. Mm-hmm. We use the same orchestras. We use, you know, it's all the same. Yeah. Uh, Intensity-wise, structurally, it might be a little bit different. So what percentage of the film trailers uh, do we see uh, are written? Uh, what percentage of the film trailer music is written by the composer that did the film? None. Really? Yeah. Unless it's, you know, like a Star Wars. So it's just so rare that that it's happens. Never happen. uh, oftentimes, when you see uh, an ad for a film, it's before the film's been scored. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then. More often than not, the score is just not appropriate to advertise the film. Mm-hmm. It just isn't doesn't function correctly. Right. It's functioning to screen, you know, right. to what's happening on picture. So I, I would say almost never. And which kinds of um, pieces do you like to score for? Do you like, you know, the huge explosions and the spaceships <laughs> and stuff? Or do you like, you know... I, uh, I, do you have a preference? I'm a sucker for, you know action adventure fantasy yeah. you know space sci-fi stuff yeah because when i hear you yeah that's why i ask yeah, yeah. you know I, I i like writing that kind of i think anything that's dramatic uh-huh. um i think that's what i've always uh, not a lot of chick flicks that you do the no we don't get for. asked for a lot of that you okay know that's I mean? interesting and it's interesting on that note you know you'll see a lot of songs get licensed into the advertising campaign for those for types romantic comedies and right so there's certain uh, aesthetics at paradigms, play or yeah. paradigms at play, you know. I see. And then, you know, as I said, as you shift into um, other areas of media, like scoring video games and stuff, then some of these other sensibilities are coming yeah. out. Some of these other approaches are coming out. And that's what keeps it fresh and fun. Yeah. It's being able to jump from one thing to the next. Yeah, when I remember when you were working on Forza, um, you were like pretty much unavailable. That was a really yeah. <laughs> like a, it was a long one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. is that okay for you, or do you prefer shorter yeah, gigs? No, you like them all. You, you like know, it's just again, a nice it, to mix it up. It's it was a lot of music. I think yeah. we ended up writing like two and a half hours of score. Yeah, um, and you know there was a there was a, a slight variety of styles and stuff, which was really cool. I mm-hmm. mean, there's there's a, a a core sound or aesthetic for the game. Mm-hmm. But we were able to sort of push it a little bit more industrial here, uh-huh. a little bit more electronic there, uh-huh. a little bit more sort of, you know, I don't know, ambient guitar-y over here. Yeah. But they all are using the same thematic material that was established and they, they, at, in their hearts, in their cores, 
there's a cohesion that happens between all these different styles mm -hmm. to make maintain a cohesive score. Mm -hmm. um, so there was definitely some challenges there, and there was a lot of music. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Know? Is it was it during that time that you and Michael got together and said we need to hire some more people because we're losing these other things that are coming along? No, I think it's no, just, wasn't that I type think, of thing. Because I, I would imagine you were tied up for like four or five months. Yeah, I mean, but that was we had to continue working, so we oh, were we oh. were juggling the workload. Oh, um, got it. And this conversation about hey, you know, we should have other people, and we could get more coverage has happened probably once every six months for the last twelve years. Yeah, we yeah. just we were so reluctant because we were so attached to our aesthetic. Well, well why, if it ain't broke, you know? don't fix it, right? No, and I mean, it's not it's that, just... I mean, things were great and things were growing and the whole thing, but the reality is that um, it just doesn't make any sense to miss these opportunities when you have the opportunity to take them off the table. Yeah, and, right. And, you know, it's like we were so attached to this idea of like being so boutique and exclusive and having such a specific aesthetic and this and that and the other. Mm -hmm. So That's um, the artist in you, right? I think so. Yeah. I think I, I was very headstrong in, in this idea and I was very, um, very reluctant to let go of it. Mm -hmm. It's like I'd rather do less and do what I want. And then we realized you can still do less you know, and it doesn't change what Mike is doing, and it doesn't change what I'm doing, and mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that we're putting out garbage. Right. We're gonna, we're still gonna have a complete control over what's being written That's by right. these new people. Right. And so, and I think once we kind of got a handle on who it was gonna be and what they're doing, and what the possibilities could be, then I think the floodgates sort of suddenly opened for uh -huh. us. And, and that's very new news over here, around here. So yeah. we've been we've been very active the past couple of weeks, actually dealing with new music. So you've signed some people that are yeah, on board. Yeah, I think by the time we're all done, we'll 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 have about ten writers total. Wow. And we'll probably continue to expand as a publisher. And again, as I mentioned, because we have self-publishing deals internationally and whatnot, these writers will have the opportunity to have their work go to all domestic and international clients overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh -huh. a, it's a, it's a, I think it's a good situation for everybody. Yeah. So, do you give them particular assignments, or do you just say we're we need this type of music and we need five tracks of this type of music? How yeah, do they? I mean, how do you get? How do you put them to work? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, every writer's got their fortes, uh -huh. and we we hope to keep them in their forte and, uh -huh. and uh, you know, we want, we want people to be incentivized at the end of the day, you know, we're writing music. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's insane. You know, they're paying us money to sit around and write music Dude, in our studios. It's craziness. I know. I feel that way going to work too. I yeah, love, I, mean, I look, love look, my job. Look at, look at our jobs. It's wild. Right. So, and that's what we want it to be for these guys. You know, and again, being put through the ringer in so many different ways over the last 20, 25 years, as Michael also has, mm -hmm. we don't want these guys to have that taste in their mouth. We don't want to be that company that's right. that they're working for. Right. It's like, do what you want. Obviously, as again, there's some yeah, parameters, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but, um, you know, if this we is hired strength, you for a reason yeah, to do you're your doing thing. This thing, you want to expand a little bit, you want to yeah. get out of your comfort zone a little bit, you want to touch on this kind of a thing, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I had this conversation this morning, one of our new writers, he did, delivered a cue and I said, it's fantastic. Here's some minor notes. Uh -huh. How about we do some more? Maybe we'll push 10 or 15% to the left on some of them. We'll push 10 or 15% to the right on the other ones. Mm -hmm. And he wrote back and said, great, I could do that. I also want to, I'd love to experiment with a little bit of this. Great. And a little bit of this. Is that cool? I'm like, of course. Yeah. Like the fact that you want to do that. Yeah. You wanna, we want you to be incentivized and just have a good time. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. what it is around here. I think we love what we do. Yeah. Um, and we've been very, very fortunate in uh, w what we've been able to do to yeah. get here. And, um, you know, it continues to grow. And, you know, Michael and I every year continue to strive to grow as artists to better our production, 
to better understand our clients, to expand our client base, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, so that we can have some longevity. Cause yeah. This is pretty an, pretty awesome situation. Yeah, man. You oh, know? it's a sweet gig you got. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to expand into other things now. So that's been another focus for us. Like is, what? What do you mean? Uh, you know, I mean, I started doing a lot of TV. Yeah. And um, I sort of gravitated away. And I've done some features. Just because of where the work happened to be coming from? or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a function of... Um, what's right in front of you right Uh so like this kind of work it blew up yeah it really blew up there's no other way to describe it you're not going to say no to it because you want to do this other thing that doesn't exist yeah exactly and you know i mean the reality is that the busier you get the less opportunity there even is if your intention is even there right to chase this other other thing Uh you know what i mean and uh this has been very it's very good Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun there's a lot of freedom and that's Uh the other thing you get really spoiled yeah because you're not answering to anybody really yeah if you think about it, I know. You know what I mean. I love it. Um, and that, that's that's kind of a it's kind of a thing. Yeah. When you go into a gig and there's some guy telling you what to do and when to do it by, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like you. Uh, um, so yeah, I think we're a little spoiled. Yeah. I think we're a little spoiled. But um, the reality is that I got into this business because of my love of film. Yeah. Um, I'm still. I'm still a child at heart when I watch a film and the types of films. And I, as you see behind you over there, I, I collect film scores. I've I been know. an avid collector for a majority of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I listen to film music all the time. It really moves me. I'm, I'm, I'm very much part and parcel of and fil- a film of film music. Mm-hmm. And that part of me is still very excited about yeah. the possibility. So I think, uh, you think said, that's next? That's come, that's on the horizon? I'd like to be. I like, yeah. I like for there to be. And it goes back to your conversation with me about you know, doing other things, mm-hmm. the concert work, mm-hmm. you know, maybe landing a great TV show, mm-hmm. you know, doing more games, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing some big film. Yeah. At the very least, you know, I've, like I said, I've done films that are relatively small, all under 10 million mm-hmm. budget or so. Maybe take a stab at a bigger film. Sure. See if I even like it. Sure. You know, I, I need to get it out of my system, I think. Sure. Um, and same thing with TV. Like, you know, let me do a great TV show, do a, you know, Lost or Game of Thrones mm-hmm. or something like that, and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, I think there's still a lot to do. That's awesome, man. I think there's a lot of work left to do. And uh, well, yeah. if anybody can do it, you can do oh, it. Oh well, hey, that's thanks. for sure. Thank you. Hey, man, it was yeah. great talking to you. You too. I'm man. really glad we got a chance to do this. You Absolutely. know, I've known you for a long time. I know. And yeah. Got a lot of new stories today. Well, hey, man, it's a lot of fun. Thanks, it's brother. Good to see you. Same here. Thanks, man. All right. All right, buddy.